Hey Upper East Siders, Gossip Girls Gone Canon here, ready to bring you the hottest gossip in today's episode, featuring one of your hosts, Chloe, and another one of your hosts, Eliana. Spotted on the steps of the Met. No, it's just you. It's just you. <sighs> I was like, do I act you know, shocked that we got like a notification? Yeah, I mean, my phone is lighting up right now. Gossip Girl just posted a photo. You're going to have to open the episode to find out what it says or open the reel. Open the reel. Uh, I'm excited to be doing this episode. It's been a long time coming. We've been literally talking about Gossip Girls Gone Canon for too long. Yeah, we have. And well, it's not about it's not about Generation 1, as I'm sure many people want, which we will discuss a little bit, but we are talking this is this is a memorial service. Yeah, goodbye to Generation 2. I it, it's a weirdly it's a really weird love hate. Like I hate it, I love it. Also, now I'm literally grieving for it and I want it back. Yeah. Crying, bleeding, screaming thing. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's like it had promise, right? It wasn't there yet, and it was almost going to be there, and they had a vision. They had a vision, and it sounded yeah. cool, and it was fun. You know, I still, like, tuned in every single week. It gave my Thursdays, I'm not going to say meaning, I'm going to say structure <laughs> no, it gave it meaning. or format. It gave it meaning. Every morning on Thursdays, we would yeah. message each other. Whoever remembered first would tell the other and be like, it's Gossip Girl Day. Yeah, Gossip Girl was, I mean, it was a generation, right? Generation one was a whole entire lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, it, it caused waves with nothing. It was iconic. I really do hope we talk further. Yeah, it was It was iconic. I hope in the future we get to revisit it together yeah. in a slower role because it was iconic from the beginning when it was low budget. They didn't have a Prada bag to their name. Lily Vanderwoodson's actress brought her own bag. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's like yes. it was... It ended up being something of a cultural reset, if you will. I really do think that. When did you first watch the original Gossip Girl, Eliana? Okay, so I finally only watched like the whole series a few years ago, but the first time I ever watched Gossip Girl is actually a funny story. So I turned on the television back then, during around the time when it actually was airing on TV, and I watched an episode and I was like, oh, I really want to continue with this, but I wasn't like good at following shows back then, like on a weekly schedule, etc. But also I was like, oh no, but I'm stuck in the middle of the story. I won't know what's going on. And then I only found out much later on that actually that was the very first episode. So if I just kept on going <laughs> from there on, I would have been oh completely caught up with the whole series. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. So... I can't believe I almost forgot we used to have to actually watch TV. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm Shit sure it really has changed. I think I could have like <laughs> just pirated it, you know, as torrented it, yeah, that's you know, true. if anyone remembers doing that. LimeWire, Bayer Yeah, Share. SoulSeek, you know, I'm or IRC or something. I could have done it. <laughs> but <laughs> it would have been like I I just kept forgetting to do it. I think someone, someone I know. And then you don't know if you're getting porn. That's true. I mean, not that I it mean, wasn't. It was significantly more salacious than Gen 2. And do you think even so? the first episode, a little, I think, um, in some ways. I feel like Gen 2 showed a little more flesh about it, though. That's because of the HBO. Mm -hmm, maybe that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. There, no, you're right. It probably wasn't 
more salacious, like HBO, I think definitely let them show more stuff, but how about you? When did you first watch it? You actually, you go back deep. I don't know. I don't really, not that deep. I want to say it had to have been 2014. But you read the book. I just remember. Well, I did read the books. No, you're right. I read the books in, in high school, freshman year. I want to say freshman year, where our library was right next to the high school, our public library. So if you did after school activities, or I lived pretty close, so I would walk home once in a while. So I'd go to the library first and go online, rent books, whatever. So I rented the Gossip Girl books, I want to say, my freshman year. I loved them. There's a lot of differences. We aren't going into that today. Who knows? Maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. Just like Vampire Diaries or The Magicians, characters are strongly changed, still somewhat, you know, somewhat vessels of their original characters and written, but adapted, changed, and fit to TV. And I want to say I watched it probably 2014, 2015. I started watching it. I'll never forget the day because I had moved into someone's place I was renting from and it was the first time I had lived like on my own in a while. I had lived with a partner for a little bit before that. So it was just like a very independent time of my life and I had a day off and I remember being home on my day off after having bought wine from the grocery store that was right down the road that was a specialty kind of grocery store. So they had cool wine and it might have been mead now that I say it. They had some really cool booze, though, and I was so excited. I had that. I had a special a special smoke available, and uh, I just remember, like, sitting there and binging the whole first season, and my roommate came home from work and was like, what are you watching? And I'm like, Gossip Girl. It was like eight, nine episodes in, staring at the screen. They were like, oh, okay. Enjoy it. Keep going, then. And I think I literally had to have nailed the entire series within a month. Within a month, I just inhaled it. Yeah, I guess so not too far after it ended, but I wasn't in during the craze. I didn't have the headbands. Uh, It was a very different world that Blair and Serena and Nate and Chuck and them were hanging out in. Like I said, it was harder to get stuff back then. You had to go through a lot of effort to watch stuff. Yeah, when it was on Netflix in like 2014, 2015, that that was it. And I didn't watch a lot of TV when I was in high school because of that, actually. Now that you mentioned that, I really didn't watch a lot of TV because also my dad was always watching sports, but it it was not a thing that I kept up with weekly, episodically. I would binge if there was a marathon on of something that I wanted to watch, uh, but it wasn't easy. No. We're very, very lucky with the resources we have. Netflix is trying to remind us of that, I'm hearing. so Yeah, and so is HBO, (laughs) apparently, and they were like, "Mm, I think y'all were a little too lucky, and now we don't have any more Gossip Girl, so... (laughs) That's what you get. That's what you get. We're going to talk a little bit of Generation 1, but we'll probably talk more about it during talking about Generation 2 and some of uh, some of the great callbacks and some of the ways that the creators have continued to respect this show. A lot of returning actors and crew members, uh, writers, directors, you know, there's a lot of love being put into Generation 2 from the original people that kind of built it. And I think that's amazing, especially... Generation one is like epic. Even the gossip surrounding the set, there's stuff that I hope I hope we learn about seasons one and two of this show. You know, I hope there's some nice gossip to come out someday. Maybe, I don't know. It didn't get enough time to breathe. Yeah, but at the same time, Blake Lively and Leighton Meester, they were just like they they were like just thrown into, you know, superstardom in a way that Gen 2 
didn't and I don't know it's it's a mix of things right because at the same time while it was harder to watch Gossip Girl as it was airing like in in, in Gen 1 because it was airing on TV at the same time it was on cable and therefore could reach a wider audience right than nowadays mm -hmm. with HBO but at the same time because streaming is so ubiquitous now I think a lot of people have HBO nowadays and like HBO's shows are are often very much like talked about and become what everyone's talking about like euphoria is, is an example of that so isn't it know. interesting growing up hbo was the hardest thing to have yeah like if somebody you knew had hbo it was like treasure that person <laughs> really mold your relationship and friendship with them if you're listening to this and you were my friend in these times don't question it i still like you sorry i don't write no i'm just kidding <laughs> it, it's true though like who who did you get your HBO password from for Game of Thrones? You know, it was a different time. It was a, it was on CW, which was way more accessible. You're absolutely right when it comes to that. It's interesting because now I'm like, why wouldn't you have HBO Max? It's the only one worth having. Yeah, CW actually even now is still pretty accessible. Like, they don't have the mm -hmm. entire backlog of episodes, but let's say you're five episodes behind, right? You can still get those episodes, website. yeah, for free on their app and... We're not shilling for anyone, but if anyone wants to sponsor us, <laughs> HBO, HBO, CW, CW, HBO, yeah, CW. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, I am assuming you have excellent taste and you love Generation <laughs> One and Generation Two for its own reasons, or you just like to be messy about either of the generations. They were messy, right? and that's what we love, love about that. Gossip Girl. They're messy shows. I mean, okay, A Song of Ice and Fire is also a messy story. Let's be real. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely look josh saffron could probably do a song of ice and fire but could george rr R. martin actually do gossip girl absolutely not. i'm not sure no i think absolutely you're right not. that is true if anyone ever wants to you know <laughs> if you ever need a quote to to sum up our podcast from chloe. yeah from chloe that was it <laughs> josh saffron could do a song of ice and fire but george could not do gossip girl which is true the melodrama the melodrama so in generation one one of the biggest differences, and who knows what Generation 2 was told, but the cast, because of how big and, like you said, like, blossoming, right? It just, like, boomed onto the scene as a huge show. The cast was encouraged to party with one another, quote-unquote, and to get busy with one another. Because, as you know, as you know from countless shows, it turns out PR comes really well from makeups, breakups, makeouts between cast members on shows. That was an actual like marketing ploy for them. That's 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 so 2007. <laughs> it is, right? That kind of gossip, <laughs> which I mean that gossip does obviously exist nowadays, but I don't know if you're allowed to do that in the same way anymore. Yeah. As a showrunner. And looking at some of the plots, you know, you have some of the original plots like Vanessa dating Chuck. Mhm. Mm to my knowledge from some of the podcasts I've listened to now, about this i don't want to talk about it the podcasts there was a plural in there we don't need to talk or the interviews i've read we don't need to talk about it they were dating irl for a little bit they had a little fling around that time Crazy. so the writers were like all right we'll write it in and the plot constantly revolved around those relationships and yeah it, it, that that's so interesting to me I think season two had like a trajectory, but that's so crazy because they were writing on the fly, I'm pretty sure, for Gen 1. And they, they some things are probably a little bit on the fly too for Gen 2, but yeah, you're letting the story be ruled by the whims of what your actual real life cast members are doing. That's crazy. 
Yeah, there was a lot of gossip back in the day of Leighton and Blake having huge, like, beef with one another when it really just turns out they were there to do a job. I think they were just co-workers. I don't think they disliked yeah. any like each other. They're just co-workers and fantastic actors who made a very believable friendship on, on screen, on screen. <laughs> uh, if you're interested in more of this gossip, like Taylor Momsen's career being ignored over Leighton's music career. Oh, oh, the drama, the goss. Which is funny because I think long-lasting, uh-huh. yeah, Taylor Momsen's, like, she's still got a following. You know, people are still yeah. listening to, to them. I, uh, I suggest Beyond the Blinds. They have a CW episode that has a lot of really good stuff where they break down some blinds that were submitted at the time and what it all means. But a show itself built on gossip, I really love that. And it's transcended, to your point. I feel like Josh Safran, a visionary... Listen, leave me alone. A visionary. I'm I've had a new awakening today where like Same. last week I was mad at the show, I was happy for the show, and now I'm like sad and I'm like, Josh, please. Josh Safran had a vision. He and I'm not kidding, like yeah, a big no, vision. He did. Like he actually had overarching beats he wanted to hit. There were things that got in the way, and I actually have really come to to have the show grow on me, even some of the filler quote unquote episodes. Yeah, like so I know that we said that they were trying and kind of fell flat end of 2022, which is true. And and it wasn't like at the same level, I think, as Gen 1. But I think there's there's something different about how things were at that time period as well that would have made it difficult to do or like to recreate that with Gen 2. But at the same time, like rewatching it, you can see, you can see he had a vision and not even just that, like as we were getting towards the end of season two, I was like, oh, this is getting really good. The show is really starting to come into its own. And <laughs> and then and then they took yes. it from me. <laughs> I know. And as we start to get into our overall generation two feelings, I wanted to bring up a quote from Interview Magazine that really spoke to me, and we're going to quote him tonight a few times, I'm sure, but about kind of the rules of Gossip Girl and what he said about some of the rules that they carried over from Generation 1 of writing. So there has to be a scene outside of school. Every episode has to begin with the Gossip Girl voiceover. There are rules that are still in the DNA and stay no matter what he says, but the biggest thing that makes Gossip Girl Gossip Girl is each episode of the first show had an event. It could be as small as a tea party or as big as a wedding, and every character converged. The rule was that every few episodes there would be different events because you couldn't always get into the same event, so two different events, but there'd be a crossover. So for example, if there was an event at the Waldorf's and an event at Serena's or at the Vanderwoodsons, somebody would end up going to the other. So to me, that's Gossip Girl, and the structure is so wonderful. It helps the episodes... Because even though there are no act breaks, we still break the episodes with act breaks. The end of Act 1, you hear about something that's going to happen. At the end of Act 2, all of the trains are headed towards each other. And in Act 3, the trains collide. Act 4 is the aftermath. So we break the episodes down that way and it helps make it feel like Gossip Girl because everything comes together and explodes. I thought that was such a great way to look at it because he also goes on to talk about how he builds the plots. Uh, And he explains that the front of the episode would usually be in the original Gossip Girl, the child messing up, right? So Serena, for example, out there doing Serena things, she has to go. And the second half of the episode would be the reveal that the parent is kind of the monster or a parent is a part of these machinations and 
making it a worse situation, like Lily being revealed lying behind the fuck-ups. And the final formula, yeah, fucking Lily. Eliana's shaking her head, y'all. She was a mess too. Uh, also iconic, though. Iconic. I mean, those bags, those Birkins, girl. Lily, Lily. I mean, she brought her own bags. B Y O B. <laughs> the final formula that I want to share that Josh uses. He says that they have A, B, C, and D plots. That the D plot is the teachers. Whether that plot gets a bigger time for the screen this episode or a smaller time for the screen they are always the least important mm -hmm. which we'll talk about some of the meta of that later like uh the contracts the teachers were only contracted for one more year for this season and they were not contracted further so they were going to become a smaller part but the d plot is always the smaller and every plot has to end in the same place or in a similar place because saffron is not into big shocking cliffhangers which we'll talk about later, really helped with the finale and fixing some of the things he had to go in and fix. Which, honestly, impressively done when I... Because I knew that the show had gotten cancelled right before, I guess, the, the season two finale aired, and I was like, they did a good job. They did a really good job. Better than anyone knows. Yeah. So some of my overall feelings for Gen 2 is that same something that carried over from Gen One is that I feel like the soundtrack always bangs. I forgot that there were so many good songs throughout this whole series, and I will give one caveat though, except for that random like Coldplay and Chainsmokers scene where everyone's singing, because it is just not believable to me that everyone would be that hyped about that song in that bar and want to have a whole number about it, and that's just how I feel about that. Otherwise. The soundtrack in both series were just, like, so good. I think it has kind of a perfect blend, right? Because you have some songs that maybe don't feel like something you or I would be into, or songs that you're like, I don't know if this bar would be into it, but they're more modern, right? You have some songs that always are the anchor, but they always seem to blend some older hits in there, some aughts hits as well, and then the modern hits, and then also, like, the cool modern hits. So when I say cool... I don't mean everyone knows them, but there's a handful of good indie hits that are slung out there, right? Stuff that you're like, oh, I got Shazam that shit. What was that? What was that? I forgot that they opened the whole series with Hope Tala. So I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. That's yeah. a girl. And then Hope and then Frank Ocean immediately after. Yeah. I mean, that is an expensive needle drop. Very expensive needle drop. It's an expensive show. I think it was like $218 million or something in total. Really? Somewhere above that, probably. Yeah, and I mean, the Neil drops alone, uh, we're going to bring up Euphoria probably a couple times tonight because that is another show that has has paid for their needle drops in their season two. But in the first few episodes alone, you have like Freak by Doja, you have Jada G, Frank Ocean, Perfume Genius, Japanese House, Lord, and that's just kind of what I can think of off the top of my head. And I don't know, I think they really blended season two really well. There wasn't too much top 40s top 40s but every here and there there was one or two to snag you and it was good they never usually do too many top 40s right because they want it to feel like you don't want to be taken out of it they do every now and then it's cute during julian's birthday they're playing julian by carly ray jepsen which was a cute touch and that was in season one the modern hits don't really come up unless they're in a public place too yeah that's true and yeah. The club. Yeah. And it's not even like always, you know, like 
top 40 modern hits like they had that ethel kane american teenager song in the last mm-hmm. few episodes so yeah it's a love the soundtracks to both shows except again i just don't believe everyone would be that into that cold plate slash chain smoker song but i think that's just me and suspension of disbelief eliana that's my one thing i was like that one i for some reason that just like broke it for me <laughs> i also this is a weird one I really liked that violin bit of the soundtrack that was like anxiety inducing they would play that was actually oh, yeah. like original soundtrack, sometimes in the credits or sometimes in the middle of the episode. I liked a lot of the original soundtrack as well, not just the money, money songs. And it was good because it did give it a very different feel from the first series. Mm-hmm. It made it feel much more like a, this is my controversial opinion, Gossip Girl Gen 2, especially the first two seasons, are kind of like Death Note, all right? Oh my god. That's my controversial opinion. It is Death Note, and... Okay, okay. Go on. I don't want to spoil Death Note. Yeah, I mean, essentially, you know, kind of trying to find out the secret identity of the other, and they're all working together, but one of them does know the other, and all those, like, coming out and being able to control people, and nobody dies which is actually kind of surprising i think more people needed to die in gen 2 <laughs> a lot of people died that's, in gen 1 that's fair no they it didn't have as out, many tangential randos yeah it starts out with a death if you think about it that's part of the disappointment right there was definitely mystery to come it seemed for series 3 with what was set up at the very end of the second season yeah so there needed to be more death <laughs> and I don't know what I what I did also love about the continuity of this world is like that no one really remembered Gossip Girl from 2012 and how it was basically published on like a live journal and everyone's like what is this right and that just felt kind of true to me the idea that yeah no one would remember what happened in 2012 or live journal I mean everyone yes. remembers live journal to an extent but you're you're surprised when you see something on it and I love that characters like Monet actually do, and they study it, mm-hmm. right? Monet, who was always trying to fit in, was constantly studying the old Gossip Girl and saying, well, old Gossip Girl said this. I thought that was great. That would be so in her character. But I love that it took on form. It gained sentience in a way eviler way than it did before. Instagram is like, it, it's following the trail of Dumois, right? And all of these blind sites. And then also because, like, you can get notifications for it, unlike yeah. with the way blogs were in the aughts. Life's hard now with all those notifications. God. There seemed to still be updates when Gossip Girl posted in the original, to be fair. Like, I don't know if it was just email updates, like Gossip Girl just posted. Yeah, was it I'm like, guessing that hey, would be how it's they got Dan, it? here's how my life is going with Serena. <laughs> Dan definitely had several blogs, not just Gossip Girl. I love that evolution of good kind of triumphing over evil that those kids kept trying to do all the time, right? And like the idea of working to change things from the inside a la Kate or a la Julian, for example, and how it has its limitations. And especially for the kids who have no real support system and have no real way through that, adding on the digital age when it comes to characters like Obi and Julian who are fighting battles they shouldn't be battling through the phone you know like this is not you do not go to instagram to fix these problems i am so 
worried. You go to Twitter to fix worried. these. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kids don't get it these days. <sighs> Damn Zoomers. And, and sometimes there were some really gorgeous shots on a yeah. purely aesthetic level. Uh, really well-directed parts, though, sometimes for no reason, which is fine, too. Like, I- I'm not knocking on it, but sometimes it was just for fun, which is fun for this kind of show. Something from the original I always loved were the fun episode titles, which there were tons of these that also crossed over, actually, with mm. the first generation, like the Lies Wide Shut episode. It-, it mirrors the Eyes Wide Shut episode from the first series, where Chuck is entranced by the woman in the secret club, and then she disappears, and he goes there, and there's the mask thing, the mask party. It's an Eyes Wide Shut thing. Anyways, uh, glossing over Eyes Wide Shut, but I love kind of some of those artsy bits, because something about CW shows, and I don't mean this as a knock, but they're not philosophical pieces of art, always, right? Like, there can be depth in there, and writers work really hard, and production crews work really hard, but it's a CW show. At the end of the day, it's not Spinoza, right? Like, you're not supposed to sit there and just, like, deeply, deeply, deeply ponder all of it. And I love that despite that, they get to show their creativity, show their interests, show little references to film and to cinema and arts and different things. This series had a little more effective theater and some of those other arts we didn't get to always explore in the first generation. Uh, But I really loved that we got to explore that you know, A24 style gossip girl as much as we could have gotten. Uh, there there were even bits like the finale had that moment where Max is looking through the peephole or the eye hole in the door mm. at Aki and Audrey. And it does this very slow pullback kind of like David Fincher in um, Panic Room with Jodie Foster pulls back and you get to see it all go bloop. And also, I want to say it might be at the influencer event in season one that they have at the bar to save Julian. There's a revolving single shot mm. where they like revolve around the room all in one sweep for no reason. Like it's really for no reason, but it's just for fun. And I love that. Like they had fun making it pretty and doing fun little shots to make it interesting and keep the eye into it. Yeah. The one thing I wish they would have done is more camp when they could, but I understand that they needed to get it off the ground before getting really weird. And I think they did eventually, even even in the beginning, some things were a little campy, right? Which is good. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, what the show needed a lot of and did eventually get there. But mm-hmm. yeah, as you said, like the shots were really well done and that combined with the way that they treated... The original score, plus like also the 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 sort of uh, style of like the font and the text of everything that they gave it, kind of helped it feel a little more sophisticated as a show, and it was sleek. Yeah, it was really sleek, but at the same time, I thought they could do that. But and I think that worked. But I didn't need it to be like, I don't need gossip girl to be philosophical (laughs) and i think that's exactly that was part of what held it like made it i think a little too cumbersome the first season that held it it back a little too seriously in season one yeah and i think not that like it isn't worth doing that with but sometimes like it doesn't have to be like that sometimes art is just a doodle on a napkin it can be fun it's something that i think too like euphoria right speaking of camp and going overboard like that Rue relapses and there is a giant, you know, puts her in the air musical number 
And I'm not asking for that necessarily, but like, you know, Blair's little uh, dreams at the beginning of episodes, her old cinema dreams where she's always an old cinema woman and yeah. uh, something's happening. And some of those little bits of dramatic flair, I would have liked to have a little more of that earlier on. And I think season two really captured that well. Yeah, season two, it was really starting to come into its own. And, and another thing is, and I think you and I will maybe come back to this a lot, Josh Safran said quite a few times that, you know, TV has changed, which it has since since the first generation, and they had long seasons at that time. And I think that you and I have said this about other shows as well. I would have liked to see this have like those 22 episode seasons, and I think it would have gotten a lot more room to grow. And I don't know, we've just moved into this weird era with streaming that everything has to be like... 10 to 13 episodes and it's like i don't know just let things let things like breathe and be fun it's minimalist it's money it's, it's capitalism. money it's money it's money it's how can we make can you tell the story in the least amount of money in the least throughout a screen room it's lean it's lean manufacturing but applied to tv and it was not money only back that then but too, but just in a different way i will I will say on the other side of things, exactly. They were milking it then. They were they had ads they had to show. On the other side of things, I would say 22 episodes, 45 minutes. The 58 sure. minutes. Yeah, yeah. It was great to tell and I think that was honestly the handoff was that fine, but we'll do this small amount of episodes, but we deserve our hour block. And that's an okay handoff, but I don't think the show is meant for that. I don't think that it can keep your interest fully 100% of the time while filling that time every week. As someone who watched it every week, it wasn't bad. It's just it, it got hard sometimes for a whole to watch hour. for 58 minutes. Yeah, except yeah. for the very last episode, which they made use of every Perfect. single moment of that. And I'm impressed that they fit all of those plots in one episode. I kind of forgot it was just one episode. It's like, how did they fit all of that in the finale? Yeah. But it worked. I love that from the very beginning, we nip in the bud the Gossip Girl issue. Yes. I actually think it's brilliant because you spend several seasons wondering who the hell it is and it makes no sense. Season five, I hear they were angling that Nate could possibly then be Gossip Girl. It turns out to be Dan for the overarching. And there are like mm. listicles upon listicles you can Google to see times Dan couldn't have been Gossip Girl or he's just an asshole, which I'm like, it could be both, but <laughs> it could be both. But by the time the reveal comes, right, like, it doesn't fully make sense that it's Dan, and it's not, it's not underwhelming, it's just, like, whelming. It's like, all right, it's Dan. I liked when he got punched, though, but glossing over that, it was a great moment for all. Uh, happy thing for all, not bummer for all. But I think having it be the teachers, flipping it on their ass, and having that be the dilemma from day one, you know, we're in it, we know it, I think that makes it very interesting, and it's a great... Something that I've noticed Josh Safran saying in these interviews is how he wanted to embrace the traditionalism of Gossip Girl while also taking it and changing it, right? And doing things that Gossip Girl never did and seeing how they play out in this sandbox of Gossip Girl. And I, I like that because it takes you out of your comfort zone. You know, everyone's a remix of someone, but there's also so many new nuances to plots, to people, to relationships, dynamics, situations. I think it was really smart to tell us who Gossip Girl was from the beginning because you don't want to just completely rehash the first thing, you know, the first generation. And that that really 
helps you to differentiate it right from the get-go and like i said gives it a very death note feel jk jk but also it so i thought something that was fun in terms of breaking those rules was you you read that aloud earlier that they kept this formula they kept the episodes opening with gossip girl but at the start of the series, there is no Gossip Girl, right? So it doesn't open with that voiceover, and then you only get the Gossip Girl title screen as soon as they first make the Gossip Girl account. And I thought that was... They, they do some really fun, like you said, artsy, cute things with it. And yeah, Dan has Gossip Girl made no sense. It was not only like... I think a lot of people were underwhelmed, or not underwhelmed, they were just like, her? <laughs> you know? Him? It makes no sense, and... They had to just finagle, I think, an answer because they did get canceled, right? Without uh, knowing that they were getting canceled that season and had to come up mm -hmm. with some sort of uh, sudden, like, solution for it and wrap it all up that season. Tradition. Yeah, which is how it Tradition. was. And yeah. I think that this show does a really great job of poking holes in it and playing with the meta of Dana's Gossip Girl in order to you know, what would this Gossip Girl do? Or how do we, like, use what people know from a previous series in order to play off their expectations for, like, making Zoya, you know, the the fall or whatever. What is the mm -hmm. term? Like, fall girl? What, whatever. Um, for yeah. that plot. The reveal. The reveal that she's Gossip Girl, although she's not. Yeah. They, yeah. they play with that in a really fun way and with the meta. And I think there's too much of a reliance on puzzles and mystery boxes for your plots these days something i really respect josh saffron for that because he doesn't as i kind of said earlier he doesn't seem to go for the shock value and the cliffhanger and his story it happens because it happens you know it's not always some secret thing which with gossip girl that can make you think it is right that's i mean the entirety of gossip girl is to misdirect you and lead you but I actually enjoy seeing how those misdirects play out on other characters when you have the answer in front of you. Thankfully, this was not a rings of power problem oh, for me. My God. You know what I mean? It didn't lead to nothing. Oh, like, you were still God. able to close these ties up. Yeah, absolutely. And it was hinging more on the drama of everyone going up against one another and not the mystery box. The, the only mystery is, like who's going to win, right? How is this plot going to play out? How are these plans going to go awry? Because people loved making plots within this show and then they would all fall apart. It was fun. This one was kind of a mystery box, but not really. I, it's not a mystery box at all, but I will say I thought this is a very small thing. This, the Jamie Cersei-esque plot with Grace, Grace's character, so random, came out of nowhere, but hilarious. I loved that. There were so many of those little plots. I... That's how you know that's it is camp. Gossip Girl, because there were, that's camp. There's all these mini plots, like the, uh, remember when Julian was dating the married guy? Oh my god, and he wasn't married. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> except he wasn't. That was Gossip Girl. Yes, that right there yes. is Gossip Girl. And I really did enjoy those little subplots and arcs. And I actually really enjoyed Grace, because she was like, you know, not bad, but then she actually was bad. I love that shit. <laughs> yes, I love that exactly, kind of thing. Exactly. And... Oh man, she was like, they ended with her just being this like cringy person, and you're like, oh, maybe she's good, right? When she steals the microphone for Shallow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was a hilarious random plot. Screaming. This is not a plot, but I just love Dean Fogg from The Magicians, aka yes. Rick Worthy as Grayson DeHaan. Oh my gosh. That was a good, that was a good casting choice. A lot of the casting was very good. Yes, especially the parents. They all are like masterclass actors. We'll bring a couple more of them up for sure. Yeah. 
what are the things you could have done without Eliana? What plot mm. were you like, eh? I understand why they did it, but I'm glad that they stopped and got rid of eventually the love triangle between the two sisters. It was it was too clunky. Weird. I do not care. Like that that just made it tedious, right? All the other drama was way more fun than having a love triangle between the sisters played out. It was very early, fresh, raw gossip girl, right? Like this is the kind of messy shit that was going on in season one of the original. Yeah, absolutely. Of weird shit like absolutely. this. Absolutely. But it, it just didn't feel right for the dynamic. I feel like we could have had drama focused elsewhere. The show was strongest when Zoya and Julian were aligned, or like if they're fighting with each other, it's just because Julian's being silly and then Zoya's helping her with something, right? And is like, you gotta quit doing this shit, right? But they're still on the same yeah. side in that way. It's just Julian's being silly. Yeah, the end of season one, or mid-end of season one, and, you know, a parts lot of, of season, season two, two were really great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot or of season that, two. Like that. I also think that they they do better at making the point with this plot, but the idea of that Gossip Girl makes the students better, like, it literally made them worse for a while, and it was each other who made them mm-hmm. better. And I do think that was the point. That was the whole point. But it was a little tedious, but I guess that's because the teachers were the D-plot. Yeah, that's a good point. And I actually, I kind of respect that he was like, it's not about them, and their plot isn't actually important. I think that's really cool that, like, they're still the designated D-plot, even if they get a lot of screen time. Yeah. Uh, They're the setup. They're the setup, because what happens from here is going to be a lot different, we're going to talk about. (laughs) Well, they were fun characters, and they they also were very messy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Very messy. I didn't really care about that one teacher, the guy that she was like, all right, I'll sleep with you again. The, the, gym, the teacher? gym teacher guy. Yeah. 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 I don't care for him. I, I didn't care about him. I didn't really care about the other teacher at the beginning of season two, whose name I forgot, who has like a 20... The woman? No, 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 no. The, the other man who was like a spy who oh. ends up leading to the Georgina mm-hmm. Sparks plot. He, he's got like the yep. 2003 like Justin Bieber haircut. And I'm like, yeah, the one that Kate had a little almost. Or not 2003. I don't know what year it was. Yeah, whatever yep. year. Yeah, it's weird because they're like such forgettable plots too. Yeah, I mean, he was important for bringing in Georgina Sparks, which is not forgettable. And but... I will appreciate how they ramped up to Georgina. I mean, yes. Josh, 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 and I. Josh has <laughs> spoken, you know, about. Sorry. Saffron's spoken in articles I've seen so far about how he wanted to ramp up like that. He's like, you don't just bring Georgina on. So I really respect that. He took very careful care with these legendary characters. But he did say that from day one, she was in. Oh, that's awesome. Like, yeah, Michelle. That's great. Go, Michelle. I love, I love that. And if there's any character that I was, I was glad to see back, it was definitely her. She's, she's a fun character. And... Wallace Shawn, her, um, you know, no- the Waldorfs, that was... Yeah, Neliyuki. Neliyuki, that, those that were great. That was a fun great. one to bring in. Um, I hope- and I'm glad the big bigs weren't on there. You know, I think that's world-shattering. I don't think we need to see... It breaks immersion to see Serena and Chuck and Blair. Yeah, they were referenced a lot, and I think... Nate has the spectator. Yeah, and I think... And and we even see, like, what, Eric Vanderwoodson's hus- husband. And I think... Mm-hmm. You know, it could be seen as a criticism that, you know, did they have to lean too much on Gen 1 in order to make Gen 2 fun and engaging? And I understand that it 
it could be a critique of it in the way that, you know, with Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra had to do a thing where they just kind of completely reset, right? And like cut themselves off from some of the continuity in the first series. But for me, I think I like that they brought in stuff from Gen 1 and Gen 2. I think you're supposed to. I mean, you have to do a little bit of it. It was fun. You know, again, I'm not <laughs> looking for philosophy from Gossip Girl. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm looking for I fun. I am looking for fashion. Yes. Whenever I yes. watch Gossip Girl, I'm on the fashion watch. Absolutely. And they had it. Oh, yeah. They had That's it. That's why it was such an expensive show. <laughs> yeah, they were able to get so many more new things than they could have had in the first series. You know, at the beginning, no one was willing to donate them stuff in series the <laughs> first generation. Just because you're a new show. I get it. You don't want to put your stuff on a show if you don't know how it's going to represent you. Uh, in totality, people weren't ready to bet on it. And now you can see that Gossip Girl was able to flourish in the show. The sets were crazy. They built tons of sets. Really well done. I bet people were fighting to even get their clothes like featured on the show. Like Gossip Girl was a tastemaker. Yeah. And, like the and, show. <laughs> not just not, yeah, the, not, the, show. not the not blogger. Just... Not Dan. Not free. Nor Kate. The teacher. Nor Kate. <sighs> Eric Deman, who was the original designer for Gossip Girl for costumes for the first series, is also the designer for the second Amazing. series. He, yeah, he made a mood board, I guess, of every character. I would kill for one of those. I'm like, I want those mood yeah. boards. I must see them for each character. My personal favorites, I actually love this because we have some, some different favorites, I think. Aki and Audrey are my favorite fashion icons on the show. Also, I love Max Wolf's style, but Aki and Audrey are like, I just really like both their styles. Stunners, bangers, Aki's Hawaiian Night of the Living Dead shirt. I have an alert on Google set up so I can find it when it comes up for cheaper. I'm like, I'm going to buy that shirt. It was amazing. And I have to shout out that his dad, Succession Grandpa Menzies, he, it's Malcolm McDowell. Now, he played Alex in Clockwork Orange. And in the last episodes, Aki wears a clockwork orange hoodie. So cute nod. There was also a nod to Helena's actress was in Madoff, the miniseries Madoff. And there was a Madoff reference in the finale. And I just think that was kind of cute. I'm like, you know, they were thinking of the actors a little bit because there were some great actors brought in for the parents. But great little fashion connections. Yeah. It's funny. I actually saw Helena first in... Fort Salem, which was a show that I think also got canceled about witches. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, actually, no, I really do love Aki and Audrey's style too. Like Audrey wears this bodycon black dress with like a little dip in the bosom yes. area that I was like, I want that. And I've been like looking out if in case that something like that ever comes across like any of my feeds, I'm like going to snap it up if anything like that ever shows up. But I was like... Chloe will talk about them. I loved I loved Zoya and Julian's styles. I also love Luna's styles, but they they were just like really fun. And Zoya I think has a much more play of playful aesthetic. And yeah, I liked I liked their fashion as well. It and of course you know Julian's Julian's Julian effortless but influencer. You know she's the Serena Vanderwoodson of the show. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, I think something great is the uniform. Right. The mm, the uniform yeah. being the foundation, because it was always the foundation for Constance in the first series, just very vaguely. Right. Look at Blair, who was constantly bending it. And she was really the one, much like how they were like, um, we make the rules and teachers go in the back entrance only. 
It's not for you. You can't go through this entrance. This is our entrance. Much like that, that was Blair, right? She laid the law down. She made the rules. She was like, you wear your headband on this side. Like the episode where the girls come up to her. They're like, are you Blair? And she's like, yes, your headband's on the wrong side. But yes, I am. Thanks for adoring me. She was the rule maker and the tastemaker there. And you actually see that with Julian, especially at the end of season one, when her dad's life has kind of, you know, in the middle end has kind of ruined her life. She has a style breakdown. And you can actually see it's intentional. And she starts kind of, you know, wearing broken down sweaters or jerseys and very to her roots and uh, earth down to earth and just like not as crazy as she was before with her crazy outfits, her great influence, her style. Ironically, though, it catches on, right? The girls around her with her chic sadness, her chic my dad is illegal status, <sighs> she's wearing these outfits and everyone starts adding it slowly to their uniform. So you're seeing oh, yeah. these people in the background wearing similar that. to her. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to see her trends catch on, Regina George style, right? Real life. And fast forward to season two, you have the dead ball. Her gown, actually, she got it from a Brooklyn local designer. It's Andrea Pitter's Pantora Bridal. And Eric Demond said that this is kind of to show her roots to Zoya a little more in her allegiance and showing like, hey, I'm with my sister now. I want her to know I'm really actually trying. And then she also later wears a really great bright knitted jumpsuit from the Jamaican designer Edvin Thompson during the fashion off with Monet, which the opposite of this is for Monet, right? From the very beginning, we see her Perfectly coiffed, perfectly manicured, always in Dolce or vintage Gucci, a dry suit, you know, like something very stiff and something very approved by Blair Waldorf. Exactly. Right. The old She's money channeling. shows through. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She is very about tradition. She's very about form, about how she needs to appear to people. And you see that opposite journey for her, right? By the end of season two, Julian has kind of transitioned out of wearing the calmer casuals to the roots things and she's wearing the bobbly taylor swift gown at the met gala right she's wearing outfits that are a little once more more eye-catching and more bright and a little more she's a little more self-absorbed during that time in finding herself and in taking down gossip girl and going for her own goals where monet kind of relaxes monet goes from wearing kind of the more stiff prada outfit here and the really nice designer look and chic and old money look and she kind of by the end is wearing a beautiful slinky leopard print cheetah print dress and very comfortable and very comfortable in her own skin knowing that she's found herself yeah right yeah and i i didn't pay attention to zoya's journey as much but i like you know you you start out with her trying to imitate her sister's style a little right which makes sense and uh, that's why it was so sad i really love like their bond as sisters and then at the end, you kind of start seeing her branch out a little more. She's kind of taking on more of this sort of androgynous, youthful, mm-hmm. in a way, style. And I, I would have loved to see how that plays into who she becomes in season three, because she's talking about how I think this is my chance to finally get to actually live a life in New York without an adult harassing me. Yeah, and we know that's not going to happen, but <laughs> now it'll just be all Everyone. kids all day long on TikTok. Yeah, exactly. How fun. How fun for you, Zoya Lot. There's a really great growing up story going on for her, right? Because you get Lil J in the original series, which I think kind of comes into a parallel for Zoya in some ways. But Lil J also was very about expressing herself and being herself, even when she loses herself, right? 
which does show through in the costuming and show through in the makeup and what she's kind of doing with her look and where she's going and who she's hanging out with, like Damien, Damien, or, you know, the lot like that, those evil drug dealer boys from Gossip Girl Generation 1. But she still gets to express herself. That's her form. That's what she loves. And I think Zoya really got as we kind of start talking about some of these character arcs and comparisons and dynamics with these characters, I think Zoya got the the short lot, no pun intended, because I feel like she got screwed over by every guy she even looked at. I know. She (laughs) was second fiddle to her sister's machinations, always. Yeah, and I think, okay, so I feel, and you and I had the same thought, I think we were moving towards bisexual Zoya, and she was going to maybe end up with Monet. That was I my would ship. Love that. Zoya Monet, I ship it. I I love really their dynamic. Love that. I love that. I loved their entire dynamic when Monet started to get a little more screen time, and they yes. had that back and forth of knowing one another's secret with the the sex tape. God, Zoya, my poor Zoya. Oh my she really got put through the fucking ringer, and then she like the last guy she meets is a fucking stalker that we'll talk about. I mean, Zoya, my poor Zoya. But at that same token, just like I said, Lil J had all those kind of plots, right? She had Chuck Bass. She had Damien. She had all these boys that were assholes that she learned lessons of life through. And I just felt it felt unfair for Zoya, though. The one thing I love is that she got Shan, right? I loved the addition of Shan. Shan is, I guess, somewhat Vanessa-like, question mark, in a way. Oh, my God. Wait, Zoya Dan? Not Lil J? Wow. But Shan kind of comes along as the down-to-earth friend, right? That sometimes is sensible. Or sometimes not, which I also love. She was the one who had, like, a healthy home dynamic, right? And she's, like, Mm -hmm. she's rebelling a little, but also nothing that I think is egregious in a teenage sense. She was somehow, like, the most normal person (laughs) throughout the whole show. And, she, yeah, she was sort of a grounding character, especially for Zoya, but also... I guess is is key to some of Zoya's plots, right? When going to that party in Philadelphia, which I thought that was hilarious. Um, oh, I love that episode, though. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, yeah. And then Shan being British, yeah, right. And then the names that they use, and yeah, um, Monet, exactly, exactly. And like that leading to all everything else that happens. But yeah, you you keep talking about Little J in the context of Zoya, and that's because they kind of play, I think, similar roles, but. It's hard to write a character like Zoya without retreading the same ground because you're writing, again, like what's meant to be your sort of outsider's perspective, but in that way, the most normal perspective like that your audience like can enter the story through, right? That's your introductory mm-hmm. character that you're supposed to like feel related to. And and that makes sense because I, I'm realizing, you know, her father's name is Nick, right? Then you have Julian's last name, Calloway. Is it an homage to the great Gatsby, right? Where you have a character who is your entrance into the world of the rich, the elite, and his name is Nick Carraway. So playing with some of those sounds a little, you get, um, you know, the great Gatsby, original Gigi. I'm so glad you brought this up because I think it's true. Yeah. I really do think it's true. Yeah. I think uh, it's definitely an a big shout out to the classics because that's Original all Gigi. that they love to do. I mean, look, look at, well, yeah, exactly. But look at, you know, the episode titles, look at some of the references, high literature, mm-hmm. high theater, high arts. You know, the arts are very 
kind of a central theme around a lot of how these episodes have evolved and yeah. not even that but also some of the premises right you have my fair lady kind of style yeah. themes showing up in episodes you have different plays different references and they do a good job I'm trying of to tell blending you, things you know yeah what Bringing i'm trying to tell you is that gossip together. girl is art it is philosophical, actually. I know it is. It turns is, out Gossip Girl is that deep. It is. It is. But at the same time, there were times in season it's one not. where I felt like it was trying too hard to be that. And I'm like, just let it yep. let it do it. Just let it do it. And I think season two starts getting into that in a way that works. But yeah, they, they tried too hard to, you know, you and I have discussed this, to make it, I think, a little parable-ish. And I'm like, I don't need Gossip mm-hmm. Girl to teach me how to be a good person. <laughs> I need Gossip Girl to... <laughs> To be like an art can be at about this point, messy it's people. Too late. Look at Anna Karenina, right? Like messy. Yeah. Everyone's messy. <sighs> yeah. And like, I don't need Gossip Girl to teach me how to have morals. I need Gossip Girl to be there to to be fun. And that can still be art. You know what I'm saying? And speaking of, it's interesting. Yeah. Right. Speaking of, I want to talk about Obi because I had a journey about Obi. (laughs) I had a journey about Obi and I'm actually so Uh. amazed. Obi, from episode one, we meet Obi and he is the only one that does not follow Gossip Girl on Instagram. He didn't even have Instagram. (laughs) Now, there's another piece of meta for you that Max is the only one that's ever blocked Gossip Girl that we see. Yes. Uh, He has her blocked at the start. So these are big. These are great things to kind of play about the phones. Now, Obi is... Our Nate Archibald turned up to 10 made out with Dan Humphrey, right? Like, he's a (laughs) perfect, put him in the blender, like, a Nate Archibald that actually did something, right? (laughs) That man said, I'm gonna defend the world. Allegedly did something. He he has, as we've learned in Gen 2, he, his newspaper is I've just gotten a correction. I've just gotten a correction from my friend Josh. No, I'm just kidding. I just got a correction from Eliana. I don't know if you said, like... (sighs) We were going to see Nate in this? Anyway, we'll get back to that. So, season one, no Instagram. By the end of the season, he has one. And by season two, he knows how to use invisible mode successfully. I don't know how to use that. I don't even fucking use that. Me either. And you use Instagram all the time. And not only that, like, he's navigating it mostly like a pro, minus the fumble and slip. We'll talk about that. What an arc. I actually really love that, like, from the start, I like that Zoya challenges him and is like, you're not, you're a fake. You play a big game because you're guilty about your family, but I need you to go do something for real. And then season two, he does, and everyone hates him. And I feel for him because, he, I mean, obviously he was selling out his friends the whole time he did it. But I really loved how adamant his character was about that plot. Like, it felt very much like original Gossip Girl to me, like a plot, a subplot Nate is going on, right? Like, it did have that vibe. Yeah. It was consistent, it made sense. The reveal of his sister being the actual quote-unquote villain in all of this was great. It was perfect Gossip Girl twist. I loved it. His his character starts really working in the second season and that plot. Because in the first season, like you said, he's supposed to have like this moral core because he has like this guilt about his family. And I'm like, it... Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for me because it feels shallow because I'm like, look at your family, right? How good can you be with all that? And then they do critique that that aspect of him mm-hmm. throughout like season one. But in season two, it's kind of funny because he does really, you know, he wields Gossip Girl for some 4D chess with, uh, I mean, real world politics. And then that would have started 
going well into whatever was happening in season three and everyone's like annoyed at him but it's kind of funny because i don't think anyone's ever really that mad at him for what he did in selling them out because they're like i don't know we kind of get it your family was i guess doing bad shit we get it and they forgive him pretty easily yeah it's interesting because they have like mosquito memories right they're like what was i doing eating blood it's like a sitcom uh, it is a sitcom like it's funny because he was the only one with consistency for 10 episodes, right? Like he was like, I've been doing the same thing for 10 episodes and none of you have noticed. Yeah, none of you. Yeah. I got true. put in the hospital yeah, yeah, because of it and none of you have noticed. Uh, which again, very Nate Archibald or Dan with their subplots because those two always had very consistent subplots, I feel like, that weren't just like changing every other episode. I would have liked to see the Heidi stuff with Obi was interesting. And mm-hmm. I think that would have been really interesting i assume that would have continued into later seasons i love it because you had that drama with trip right for nate with trip his cousin (sighs) oh yeah uh with the politics and then you also had like chuck and jack so there was a lot of really great tension from the interfamily like that so i would have loved to see more of that and his mom i mean i really liked that she was somewhat innocent quote unquote, right i don't know about how innocent but that she was you know not actually the real big bad in this moment and I'm interested to see where they take her plot from there. That's so true. I mean, we we would have had two people in prison, right? Like Hel- Helena, yeah. Helena and, and Kate. And how we would be able to kind of, I think, compare and juxtapose those experiences, I assume. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like that uh, Heidi's name for him, Adekato. <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> that was fun. He had a lot of nicknames. Didn't he have, like, Autobahn? Was it Probably. <laughs> Obi in and of itself is a nickname. Is a nickname. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, let's let's move on to the influencer herself. You know you love her. XOXO. Stop the story. We're here right now oh with Eliana to talk about Julian Calloway. Stop the story. It's time for you to share your story, Eliana. Oh my god, if Julian said that one more time, I would I know. I would off myself. She was such a I would mess. throw myself down the stairs. Yeah. I love it. Stop the story. I love it. She's such a mess. And <laughs> she thought that was a good idea. She, she really, thought. She had a lot of things she, she really thought, thought were good ideas. She's the Serena Vanderwoodson, you know? Like Absolutely. Effortlessly cool. Somehow accidentally or not accidentally, I don't know, just fucks everything up in one way or another. Mm-hmm. It's funny, she starts out as not putting up much, putting much stock in Gossip Girl, but then as soon as, like, the whole followers thing happens, like, she cares, all right? She she gets sucked into it, which is also what happens to Serena, but in a very different way. But she does stay consistent right from the beginning of the series of wanting to take Gossip Girl down. That has always been consistent in her character, and I think they do a good job of exploring the ups and downs of that. I also love, this is a small thing, but, like, a sisterly thing, right, of... When Julian shows up to Nick's apartment that one time and she just automatically lies and covers for Zoya and it's like, oh yeah, no, she was with me earlier, of course. And and that just feels true to me. Uh, and this is why my best friend's mother hates me because that's what you do for your sisters, you know? You lie and you cover for them. Even if it, even if it's so clearly a lie, you're like, yeah, no, she was, she's with me. Yep, you lie. You lie like a motherfucker <laughs> until you get right. caught. You lie. I got caught pretty Fucking fast, lie. but I, I blame her yep. mom. I'm like, you should have known where your daughter was. It's not on me. Anyway. <laughs> I just lie about it. <laughs> I just misdirect you from the truth, uh, Eliana. Oh, okay. Well, only to parents. Something, oh my God. something I really love, and, and 
The arcs really stood out to me on this last watch through. The three times I've watched Gossip Girl in the last two months, Kate and Julian are actually on the same exact arc opposite one another. They are literally doing the same thing. Absolutely. Against one another. Kate and Julian both become consumed by the power and the need from Gossip Girl, just on the opposite and receiving ends of it. I think it's fascinating that because of this obsession, you can see like Kate, what Kate becomes and Julian, that's what you could become. It's more like Kate, what Julian was is what you could become, right? You were saying that this isn't like Mm -hmm. rings of power, but like, let's be real gossip girl, the account and all of it, that power. It is the one ring. Okay. It's the one ring. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, they're the same character. It's even called out a couple of times in explicitly. They're like, you are the same. And yeah, how they they could consume by it. And then they keep just finagling and making all these crazy schemes for everything. They love scheming, these two characters. And oh yeah, and how they end up blowing up their own romantic relationships multiple times because of it. It's really fun. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Maybe we should talk about Kate for a second, too. Like... That actress was really fun. She had great... Every time she would narrow her eyes and be like, mm, she was she was funny. Mm, yeah, I love that. And look up. I need to know how large the heels Zoya was wearing in the penultimate episode versus Kate were. If you're watching next time, you'll see what I mean. Zoya towers over her. I'm like, Kate, how short are you, girlfriend? You must be so tiny. She's so short. Uh, I know. I do really like Kate. I think she had very funny comedic timing. I know there were some complaints in the fandom, like, we don't care about these teachers, but I actually did start to care about Kate, even though the I'm trying to do better thing got old, you know, after a while, as we discussed. It got a little crusty, like, come on, Kate. Come on, Kate. But I enjoyed that, as you said, Josh Safran (laughs) took that and he transformed that idea and let it consume her. Like, she, I love that she got to be the villain. Oh my god. So happy for you, girl. And they ended it great, right? Like, she's like, no, I want that recognition, right? She she partially got into Gossip Girl. She was intrigued by the idea of best-selling novelist Dan Humphrey. And, like, that mm-hmm. was her dream, right? And so it plays on the meta again. And, yeah, and then they're all like, no one wants a story of a teacher. That's gross and sad. They, like, literally more or less are like, that's pretty gross. And what's even sadder is that it's not like she's... And I don't care if she is an old crone. I'm like, girl, go off. If you're an old crone on Gossip Girl, you're killing it better than half the game. But she isn't that much older. First of all, she's actually three years younger than I want to say Audrey's actress. Really? Which is kind of funny. That's in funny. true Gossip Girl, true Gossip Girl manner, you know, huh. casting youngsters and oldsters opposite one another. But that's funny. Also, Josh Safran pointed out in an interview that like private schools you have younger teachers because they get paid less and that's who accepts those paychecks and is willing to put up with the bullshit that comes with some of these private schools so more than likely kate isn't that much older she's only a few years older than they are it's kind of interesting. so no wonder she gets sucked in yeah she gets so sucked into it all like of course she does it's she's kinda... barely out of the same stuff yeah the younger teachers don't have that um the other teachers, they're fun. Um, we could, I guess, talk a little bit about... Jordan? We could talk about Jordan, but I don't really care about Knock him. off Andrew Garfield? Uh-huh. I actually came to love him. No, no, no. I, I, I came to like he him. He came to be fun, but also at the same time, this isn't like the Gossip Girl Bible. Yeah. We'll be talking about him in just a bit, actually, when we talk about the thoughts on the finale. But 
I do want to bring up Wendy, their little third sidekick. Love her. She's funny. Silly. Silly. Yeah, I got to give her a shout out. She was very fun showing up at inopportune moments, saying inappropriate things. Yeah, I really liked that about her. Same. Same. Um, Not to group them into one group, but let's talk about the thruple real quick because unironically, one of my favorite parts of the show, and I don't know if that's because I'm a messy bitch, but I loved it. I actually thought it was a great slow burn. Uh, we'll talk a little more as we get to the finale thoughts. I liked Audrey's plot. I wish she had had a little... I don't know. I liked I liked the entire slow burn of their plot, all three of them together, and them trying to find themselves as well as their relationship with one another throughout the two seasons. I think it was perfectly done slow burn. I mean, I kind of forgot on rewatch that they didn't get together together official, like out to everybody official until basically the last few episodes of season two, like mid-season two and season two. You know, Um, everybody kind of knew, but they weren't official till the end. So it was kind of a perfect Gossip Girl timing that they break up at that season. 22 episodes per season. 22 episodes per season. Um, Yep. Thought they were fun characters. It was hard because I think that there could have been more focus on their plot, too, at some points. And it was hard to get a handle on the first season, but they figured it out second season. And I liked... I really liked Audrey's arc at the beginning or like during season one mm-hmm. as well. But y'all know I'm like a sucker for parentified kid with like parents with substance abuse issues and stuff. We'll talk about mm-hmm. Max in a second. Aki, I liked his story, but there wasn't enough of it that stood on its own. And I think that they were starting to finally get there. They were building up to it in season two, right? Because you can't. I think that, the, you know, Josh was trying to introduce things to us in like bite-sized ways and i understand his timing he had a large overarching vision he had a he had a long-term plan and i think he had a long-term plan for aki too and now we're never gonna get it yeah i appreciated some of the cross-pollination for aki's family for like his father with other characters but i wanted a little more from them i really loved the succession style the summit i loved that episode i love That was kind of fun. I would have loved more from Aki and his mom. I would have loved to have some more interactions in season two on that. I liked what they had in season one. I thought it was really great to have them interact and have her be really accepting of him as he's starting to come into himself and understand himself more. But there did come with the problem with the thruple, right? Is that the thruple was treated as the thruple and you didn't get as much individual. I mean, squeaky wheel. It's Aki. He got to make out with Ingrid. That's what he got this season. Which is, you know, it is what it is. I do love, have to shout out the scene where he and Obi are at dinner with their parents and him and Obi are just like, fuck it, fuck it. Wow, this feels great to say. Like, have you ever gotten to say fuck off basically of them before? Love that scene. I was sitting here cackling watching it the other day. I was like, oh, good for those boys. You tell those parents to fuck off. Uh, I really did appreciate Aki and Obi's relationship also. Their friendship was amazing. I just really like the way they were able to be around each other and be honest with one another and uh, support one another. I think it was a really good show for both of them. But we didn't get Aki. Like, obviously, Aki likes movies. Yeah. I got that much. And they were going to start... And the Criterion channel. Exactly. They are going to start going into that in his own dreams, maybe, of being a filmmaker or something. And that's what they were... The Ingrid plot was kind of about, right? Like, mm-hmm. do your lovers actually support you? I don't know. But as you said, like when he was with Obi, he got to actually, I think, be more of Aki's character. And they were starting to focus more on him. And 
yeah, I think they were going to build that out in season three. Rip. It was his time to shine, and now we'll never have it. Now his watch is ended. Oh my god. Our watch is ended. <laughs> so is Matt. All these characters, their watch is ended. You know, Max, right? Like, Ugh, again. Love him. Love his family. I, yeah, exactly. They had like a, a really fun family arc. Messy. Comes back together. Interesting. Um, and I would have liked to see also where his character goes. Like, he's presented in a way at the beginning, right? He's Chuck Bass-coded. But yes, he ends yes. up being such a different character from him. Like, Chuck is always kind of, I think, self-sabotaging. Max, yes and no, but he, he was a very different character. He's very vulnerable. He was very open. We've He's much more open about his feelings as the series goes on. Yeah, he's a Pisces, and he doesn't <laughs> assault people. Yes, which is... He does top, though. Step one, not assaulting people. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, he kind of actually, its this is really sad, I uh, gets assaulted himself quite a few times. Yeah. Like, I don't know that we would say, there's, there's an argument to be made, like Heidi taking advantage of him at the end, but like also teacher, the teacher assaulting student. Yeah, thing. absolutely. That plot happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very, very Riverdale of them to do. It's Speaking interesting in the light of, like, Dan Humphrey with the hot teacher, and it was just messed up because finally the teachers were like, all the parents were like, what? One of our teachers is hooking up with this young man? We must stop it! And, like, that was treated like it was, like, a sexy, sad thing yeah. in the original series, so I actually really respect the way they took the Rafa plot line. Were we rewatching those episodes together? Yes, the we The ones with the Dan Humphrey teacher? I'm like... What is going on here? Why is this Miss teacher- Carr? Yeah, why is Miss Carr like as an adult? I'm not gonna be like, yeah. Why don't I go have dinner with a teenager? You know, I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. What were you thinking, you weirdo? Anyway, she was a predator. Yeah, Rafa, Kate, Jordan, take notes. Yeah, you weirdos. Weirdos. Or else she'll end up in jail, like Kate. Yeah, Miss Carr wasn't arrested, but maybe, I don't know, maybe she should have been, but, uh, uh, so I thought what was kind of interesting about Max, as you pointed out, he blocks Gossip Girl at the beginning. He doesn't ever really care about Gossip Girl that much, Mm -hmm. if at all. His life is not that, like, it doesn't revolve around it as the other characters do. At the same time, is the one who, in person amongst his friends, is the one who's the most misunderstood. Right? Like, he doesn't need Gossip Girl to put on, like, a fake image of who he is. Everyone just already thinks he's a certain way, somehow. But he isn't actually that way in his day-to-day life. Whereas with everyone else, they are who they are, and it's everyone else through Instagram or Gossip Girl that's misunderstanding or how they're being misrepresented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that because you actually get to see the real side of him with Luna. Right, yes. with Luna Law, who's one of my personal favorites. Yes. I must say, I gotta yell her name out. But I really loved their relationship and what it brought out in one another, that they both seem to understand who the real them is to one another. And like Luna understands what Max Wolf actually wants and what's in his heart and is a good friend to him and vice versa with him to her. Uh, I, I felt like that was a really great way to show the true side of Max and to show those discrepancies popping up around him with his relationship versus who he is and what he wants. Exactly. Uh, Luna, yeah, that's that's another one where I'm really sad. Luna was a really fun character. So smart. Julian took advantage Everything. of her. Absolutely. So hard. Every day, every day of her life, Julian took advantage of her. She had an angel yeah. in her midst. She had an angel that fixed her life 
whenever she blinked. Good for Luna well, now that Angel's for breaking gone. away. Yeah. You know, she, like, broke away from one, her mom, and then maybe she was seeing, like, her recreating patterns or something with Julian. But mm-hmm. we're never going to get Maybe we will. I don't know. I haven't given up hope entirely. When Josh Saffron gives up hope, I hope he knows to call me and tell me everything. Yeah. But until then, someone buy it. Buy Gossip Girl, please. Yeah. My children are dying. Yeah. <laughs> my children. I don't have children. My Gossip Girls. My, my little Gossip children. My Gossip Girls are dying. Leo <laughs> Uh Monet, speaking of Luna Law and her tremendous success that I am so happy about and happy for her because now she is sparkling on the inside out. Again, like you said, we had just started to get her mom, and all of these little plots about her. I'm so bummed. I wanted more. This was the season to start that. Yeah. They just needed one more. They just needed one more. Luna Law was going to be ultimate Nepo baby. Like, she was, like, on that, I think, she was going to be, like, Bella Hadid levels, you know, of, like, model, etc. And I think that would have been really fun to explore. And She's so beautiful. I can't get yeah. over it. Like, she literally is, anyways, she's gorgeous. She's fucking gorgeous. Uh, her and Monet are so solid. Yes. They held a great amount of the show for me with their humor, with their timing, with uh, just the simple reveries from like their eye rolls and stuff. Oh my god, eye roll cut of both of them would be amazing <laughs> for Monet and Luna. I'd love to watch that. But I love that we get Monet more in season two and all these family dynamics with Dean Fogg and with her mom. <laughs> Dean Fogg. Yeah, Monet. That's his name. Yeah, Monet becomes like a really big part of season two. And it's funny, she's, like, described, she doesn't get that much in season one other than being, you know, a Julian, one of Julian's henchmen. They do name her, though, as a school villain in, like, the first episode, and that's why they don't choose to go after her initially. But they actually let that come through as part of the plot in season two. Big sad that her mother thinks that, I don't know, Gossip Girl made her better, and I'm like, y'all are so dumb. (laughs) When really, it was actually seeing Luna Law, and, like, her best friend's like broken relationship with her mother that sparked Monet to start trying to, you know, connect with her mother more. But her parents were like really mean. Yeah, they were ultra villains. Like yeah. uber villains at the end of the day. Everything they did was like evil. And even the mom had these great moments of sensitivity, like with with Kate. I, I yeah. loved their scenes. I thought they were interesting. Weird. There's a really great shot where they are in that atrium of the Dehan household, and Kate is on one side, and the mom is on the other, and there's the giant flowers in between them. And it's like, it's really great because they like quite obviously are playing a cat and mouse game, and they're walking, and the camera's rotating, and they have something between them, literally. Uh, like they aren't seeing each other just right through the flowers. Again, because Kate is like four feet tall. But. <laughs> In real life, she might be compared to me. I don't know. I just don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, Monet really needed some time to breathe. I love that they broke her down. I love when she had her own henchmen from the other school, oh my Pippa God. and yeah. whatever her name is. A throwback oh to, to Blair, really. Yeah. Right? Like, that is kind of a throwback to Blair with her henchmen. I love that. I uh, I love the balance of her and Luna Law, right? That Luna was kind of the creative design, and she was the executor. She was like, I make it happen. You design it. I think they were such a great pair together, a great little power duo for the show. And I like that, you know, Monet does not care about her grades. <laughs> so that, no. that really differentiates her from Blair, you know? Yes. Well, let's talk about the things that we wanted. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the finale and our thoughts on it and the end credits, which I missed the very first time. 
I will out myself. I did not know there were end credits. I didn't until so, I read these interviews and I was like, oh shit. Yep, gotta go back. Gotta go back. I guess you just don't expect it, but love that there was. You know, since episode one, they've made such a great point that Gossip Girl is super fucked up. Right? Like, we already knew that, but yeah. it's cyberstalking, it's bullying, it's harassment. There was a line in season one that Gossip Girl is moments away from making a snuff film, right? <laughs> How are there never real world consequences to this? So I was happy to see the finale finally show real world consequences. The teachers are the bad guys is such a great, powerful theme of it. And watching that power of Gossip Girl consume them, like Rafa in season one, turning into a bad guy, Julian's dad is a bad guy. Uh, season two, Kate losing control, becoming that villain. Zoya's dad, Nick, getting burnt. I feel like there were all these great contrasts of the adults and their exploitative behaviors and how it affected these kids, considering we had plots in series one like Serena and Army Hammer, right? But at any of those little side stories, Polly or Georgina, right? Georgina herself. Georgina and her friend Savannah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, you know, as you said, there were there were lots of like really great moments and they started, as you said, getting the themes down. They had some fun callbacks to like things at the beginning of the series. I was like, oh my god, they mentioned Andy Cohen in episode one and then there he is, season two finale. Amazing. I was like, oh my god, Josh was thinking he was he was Josh. he was thinking, you know, like five years like or more. He was thinking like five year plan. Five year yeah, plan for Josh. Thirty years ahead. And I uh, he was playing 40 chess and uh, yeah you're talking about the whole way that they're showing that actually the adults are the bad guys or they are not very good and that the kids are kind of just imitating and i think that's so true because you know the season one plot for some reason it is like why is julian being held responsible for her father's actions he is the adult right or or audrey again constantly being responsible for managing her mother's moods and then like her brand or something and mm -hmm. and like why are the kids managing their parents lives but the parents were also very messy in gen one let's be real and yeah i mean lily oh my god the messiest rufus putting my children in rehab putting them in a mental facility so i don't have to deal with them or parent them you know my husband who's dead but isn't dead and also cheating with rufus and gonna run away with him oh my god, <laughs> my god. Uh, oh my the god. cancer plot with lily's mom and lying to rufus and then bringing back serena's dad you oh know i can keep going there were so Lily. many like the parents were as much part of the drama of gossip girl whereas in this one a little less so they were the adults were part of the drama in a different way mm -hmm. yeah you have some great parallels too with like you know when everyone when Julian's getting canceled and people are like, I think she should leave the school. How that kind of parallels with Zoya and, and that fire and having to leave her school. And then also, like, it was kind of messed up because when the scholarship gets taken away, they're all like, yeah, Zoya, your scholarship is jeopardized. And teachers are telling us that your grades have slipped. And I'm like, all of these teachers are in on it. All of these teachers are why her grades are slipping. You are literally cyber harassing her. <laughs> What do you think? Yeah, like look at Monet and her family dynamic and oh then apply god. it there. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my god. And yeah, not only that, but I, I, it makes me think of Abbott Elementary a little and how like oh, the complete opposite tone of a show, right? It's a sitcom. Absolutely. It's more wholesome, happy-go-lucky. <laughs> but you have the teachers there that the whole goal is like, despite the conditions of the school, despite the conditions of their household lives, despite the conditions of the children's lives at home, 
they are trying with minimum resources to provide the best education they can, you know, give you heartwarming parables at the end of the day that Eliana only wants from that show, not from this show, making sure we know that. But, and Gossip Girl, you know, ha- is the inverse of that. Like this generation was the absolute inverse of that. And it was like, oh no, what if the teachers really didn't care and they couldn't put your parents' pettiness above this and they were like, fuck it, ruin the kids' lives. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, horrible. And I loved in the finale, like, in totality, the finale as a heist, right? The finale as a heist was amazing. It was like Ocean's Eleven in this bitch. Yes. Uh, The running water of the shower for Jordan in the sink in the kitchen and then versus, like, Julian in the bathroom in the shower while Obi is texting her, Kate, Kate, Mm. Gossip Girl, is amazing. When he fumbles and hits general instead of delete, my heart skipped a beat. I said, oh no, Obi, Obi, you put it in general. You didn't delete it. You stupid. I was so upset. I was like, you're too new at this. You're too new at Instagram. You're, you're too new. And there was something really meta in the finale about them using the phone, all of them having access, using their phones to tell like kind of lies, but also kind of true things about one another to Gossip Girl, right? To post them from all over in order to break down Gossip Girl. Like, for the first time, they're actually telling the truth about one another, even if it's disparaging and hurtful. It's almost like this weird hash-out trauma session for them at the Met, because at the ball, they're, like, they're putting their traumas out in front of one another to prove slash to distract slash to confuse that they are Gossip Girl. And they they become Gossip Girl. It's a giant show. That is is the title of the episode. I am Gossip they are gossip they do it together though even though they're also ruining each other's lives in the same moment but it's like honesty and it's like shit that needed to be said right like it's it's stuff that they couldn't just keep going on hiding and living that way from one another and it's a very meta final piece that like to destroy it this is what they do if it works or not for better or for worse this is what they do yeah it's a lot of meta at the met which is the biggest thing the show has ever done and honestly I'm proud of them for doing it. And yeah, there's there's like as you said, they're finally divulging everything. It's sort of a mingling of both performance, which is what in and like the simulacra, if you will, to get philosophical about it, <laughs> of gossip girl, but then that becoming also the real and like melding it together and Hey, uh, this is kind of funny that I'm about to say this because, and it's only because we just read the story. I'm like, it's like the gathering for the Grishka before the. Oh, <laughs> the, yeah, the and a song for Leah. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I don't know. I just. I, w- I would have loved to see what they come up with next. I don't know if you can go bigger or more expensive than the Met. I think plot wise you can. I think spectacle wise, maybe not. But that's fine. I'm glad that he got to do it before he. I, I'm glad he got out. He went out on a bang. Yeah, Josh Safran literally did go out on a bang by doing this because and so did the they had never done cast. this. Yeah, yeah, amazing job. The cast, but they never got to do this. Like they never got to do the Matt Gala, and this was something they always wanted to do in the first series, and they couldn't. So I know this was a big deal for them. Which is funny now that you think about it, because Blake Lively was someone who got a lot of attention for her Met Gala looks. When you think about it. Did the muse inspire the art or what? You know? Interesting. 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 
there's almost a suspension of disbelief that Zoya could have been Gossip Girl. Like, obviously, we know she's not, but I loved how gaudy it was that she showed up, and I loved her dress. Uh, I love how what yeah. a like, tacky idea it is, though, that she's like, I'm Gossip Girl, and they're like, oh my god, it's her, it's her, and I'm like... And then she's, like, crashing it like Cinderella, right? And, like, I like the quilt dress. Yes. It's cute. It felt more effective on rewatch than it did on the initial watch, and I will say, I thought it would be... It would have been really cool if there was like a scene where they took the materials to Kiki to make that dress. Mm, but yeah, like, yeah. it would have been cool if there was a scene before that of them compiling the materials and if it was like of their moms. I know it's not really yeah. that show, but I was just thinking, wouldn't that have been cool if the dress had been made from things of their moms together? Like we did it together. Yeah, but I think the this dress, is what she would have wanted. The dress in and of itself, it is a designer one. And then the apron was added onto it so i think mm-hmm. if you wanted to buy the quilt dress you probably could for like a bazillion dollars um <laughs> and uh the symbolism of the quilt right yeah. it, it shows their patchwork lives sewn together right that these children like it, it's not a perfect designer smooth one piece of silk right it, it's several pieces patched together and sometimes those pieces don't fit but sometimes in life you got to make them yeah it was art the show and like what they did with yeah. Zoya and there is a suspension of disbelief that people would believe it, but at the same time, everyone like believed and accepted that Dan Humphrey was. So it's not that big of a stretch, you know. If you're going from a world where in, within a world where Dan Humphrey yeah. actually is Gossip Girl, you could believe that it was Zoya, and that's what they were playing on. Which again, fun. It's fun. Yeah. Well, Eliana, do you want to hear what could have been? Because I know <sighs> some of what could. I know. Been. I know some of, and I'm just. It make it hurts. It hurts. For those of you listening at home, there is a great deadline interview Look that Josh Saffron's. <laughs> we'll link it below for you to check it out. But here is kind of a little bit of what he's let slip. So the finale was not intended, quite obviously, to be the series finale. He actually asked to edit the finale when he had kind of a hunch that it was getting canceled. So he went back in and edited the entire finale, 30 minutes of scenes at least were removed. Genius. So they had to add things back in. He had to change stuff around just to make it so it could be final. Luna and Max versus Monet and Julian was about to be the next plot. Monet and Julian were going to be jealous of Luna's real fame versus Julian, who's never really experienced that real fame, superstardom, and they were going to try to take her down. During season three, a good old fashioned gossip girl takedown. Yeah. I would be very excited about that. A, a CC, what CC Winston mess around. Yeah. But, Winston don't mess around. Um, uh, it's a classic Winston Bishop turn takedown. Exactly. Turn uh, but uh, yeah. Frank. I would have liked to see that. It, we, you kind of get hints that Julian does want that fame. Right, because she's like, oh my god, I've never been invited to the Met Gala anymore, and now obviously Luna's about to become like a Met Gala staple, right? With that level of fame, she's like I said, she's they're making her to be like this, I don't know, sort of one of the Jenners like slash yes. Bella Hadid esque sort of character or Gigi, you know. And not only that, but it was apparent at the dinner after, right? Because the two months later, they are in Italy, and. They at dinner are kind of finally call around like, are you mad? You should be mad about it. You should be mad that she got your contract. So you could tell it was going to be a big focus for the next season moving forward. Roger Menzies, right? Mm. Our Malcolm McDowell and Jordan. So our after 
moment there after the end credits. Yeah, Logan Roy approaches Tom Wamsgans and says, we're going to (laughs) turn Gossip Girl into TikTok. It was classic. Very amazing. Uh, I would have loved to see that because Jordan's in too deep. Part of me is like, Jordan, baby, you're in too deep and you also committed crimes and you admitted it. Like right here and there. He straight up was like, oh, so you were you her accomplice? Because I'm not stupid. I know someone had to be helping her. And obviously to get the job, he kind of has to say yes at this point or to continue the offer. But also now Logan Roy, I mean, Roger Menzies, I mean, Rupert Murdoch now knows that you were partially responsible for these crimes. You know, like take he doesn't know exactly, but you did take photos of fucking naked teenagers, basically asshole yeah um for your girlfriend and he knows you did it for love yeah he knows that there's more to uncover there so that is going to be you sorry that was going to be used (laughs) against him in season three you can tell that roger's going to end up leveraging that and fucking jordan over and i would have actually really liked to see how that plays out between jordan and kate too because like him taking this thing that was like kind of you know kate's baby and then like democratizing it but not and then because he broke up with her over her fixation on Gossip Girl. And then for him to go and monetize it, like, that would have been interesting. Because they, they did say they weren't yeah. done with Kate's character. Absolutely. He did also say that if he had opened it for Kate's character, she would have been in jail. Yeah. <laughs> or in prison. Yeah. I love it. Good to know. Very, very... Like you said. What is the word? Next door cell. Not, not nearly as glamorous or as cool as Anna Delvey. Because obviously that's what she was hoping for. That's why she's like, I'm here for the Shonda Rhimes meeting. And then they're like, no one wants to cover your story weird loser (laughs) what a great reveal it's a trap there is a mystery guy that we see that the guy that meets zoya right so this is one to follow this got cut pretty much completely this had a handful of scenes that was supposed to lead us into season three that aaron dominguez would have played a guy that was involved with zoya julian audrey somehow you hear a reference to him at the end when they talk about how they met someone in italy and there's also a scene that was cut where he's watching them at the bar uh, but the guy that offers the cigarette lighter or lights a cigarette for Max. Was that supposed that to be him? That is also him. Uh, is it yes. him or was it like his ex-boyfriend or something? Because he was saying in Berlin and that was probably Berlin. Yeah, from what I'm seeing, maybe. I don't know. The whole idea is that Aaron Dominguez should have been in all these, the references, I guess, oh, is okay. what was supposed to happen. So it might have been his ex then. But needless to say, he meets Audrey at the museum. He meets Zoya at the theater, and they were all supposed to be saying, "Oh, I met him. Oh, I met him. Oh, I met him." So yeah, and we don't know. Interesting. How he we'll met- never know. Yeah, we don't know how he would have met Julian. Interestingly, we have like a, obviously, as you said, hints of that he would have met Audrey at the gallery, which mm-hmm. is very callback-ish to some of Blair's plot plot lines too. Yes. but yeah, I don't know how he would have met Julian, and the, I'm curious what his character would have been like. I love it because you have some of those plots like. Dan and Serena's half-siblings, right? Or their half-sibling through Lily yeah. and Rufus. <laughs> that character kind of plot where he's kind of stalking them for a season and then there's a reveal of why yeah. he's stalking them. So I'm curious what Same. it would have been about. Especially because there's also that plot for Julian then searching for secrets from her family, right? In Italy, unveiling secrets about her mom and dad's relationship maybe and maybe why her mom ran away with yeah. Nick, perhaps. Uh, so that that's kind of great because it's very yeah. Serena, right? Great. Very Serena. Serena going to get answers about her father with Carter, 
Uh, I like that we got to kind of see them go for the summer. I like that there were excuses, right? Like Max won't come. He, you know, wouldn't tell us where he's going for the summer. So very Chuck Bass, probably getting drunk somewhere in a corner on an island. Uh, and Monet, Monet couldn't come. Her parents wouldn't allow her. Whatever. Who knows if that's the truth? She might not have been invited. Who knows? Yeah. No one knows. We'll no never one knows. Know. No I one mean, will ever know. We could. It could happen. <sighs> Now, the final thing I want to tell you is that the thruple was canon. I, I can like, see that. I canon. can see how that would be the case. He kind of spoke about how the triad breaks up and that Josh Saffron said he viewed the three of them as being endgame and that breaking them up was the biggest regret Aww. of his for the finale. The one thing he wished he could have changed if he knew that they weren't getting a season three. So that means they were going to break up and find their way back to one another like slowly that. over the seasons. Amazing. I we love would have it. had to see them all break up, you know, like entirely, not just Aki and Audrey and one thing. I think they would have had to all break up and, like you said, find their way back to each other. And maybe it would have been like in college and maybe it would have been like a long time from now, like how, you know, it took Serena and Dan the entire series to get back to one another. But mm -hmm. exactly. But and Chuck and Blair on and off. Big sad. But I, they were they they looked like Endgame. Yeah. I mean, they were so... They, they were they, so they happy weren't. together. There was like a few minutes there. You know? Where they were. <laughs> They're true. in high school. I mean, listen. Aki, Audrey, three words, eight letters. Say it and he's yours. Like, it wasn't that hard. They're, it wasn't teenagers. that hard. Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> I know. They will come to love one another in the afterlife of this show. That's for sure. Eliana, what are the dynamics that we're going to miss? The final things that we wish they explored or had time to resolve. What do you think? Uh, I, I've already said it. I would have loved to see what happens with Kate's storyline and how they would have expanded that with, with regards to where it goes now that she's been caught. And then also, like I said, I think Monet and Zoya were going to be a ship at some point. And then Aki getting to be a character outside of audrey and max and really coming into his own having his own motivations and also like heidi's stuff i've already i think gone in depth with yeah. all of these things that i've wanted i but can't you. i i can't believe it i want more heidi yeah, yeah at the end there i love obi outed her shit and that was great too i really loved that moment uh, it was just like oh you little fucker good for you but I really do want more of Heidi. I think she could be a really interesting character. Again, very like Jack Bass, right? Come back and be a little <laughs> villainous and stir up trouble. I loved that. And actually, that is her, but with Max, right? Like, that's the Chuck, Jack, Blair kind of thing going on mm. there that she kind of comes back like Jack Bass for Blair. Um, Nick and Kate. They're endgame. Somehow, really? in true so? Gossip Girl fashion, I think they're endgame. I think that somehow, despite her cyber-stalking his daughter, despite that, somehow they would get together in the end. I'm not kidding you. They have great chemistry. They, I mean, throughout all of it, everything she did in that penultimate episode and posted right there on Gossip Girl, yes, she was trying to take down the Dehans, but also she thought that she was helping Nick, even though she was putting the nail in his casket. So there's that. Yeah, she was always still really fixated on him. And always. And but at the same time, the way that Nick regarded her in that final episode, I don't know. But if they did get together, that would be some Granted, I guess Lily and Rufus were not endgame, right? Um but Yeah. 
they were not, but that would have been like some Lily Rufus shit, just doing things, not caring about your kids' well-being. I mean, I think there's a way that the great poet and genius Josh Safran could have done it. I, I do think so, and I actually really don't think. I mean, I don't think her and Jordan are endgame. No, at all. No. I think it's her and Nick. I think all these stupid little revolving ones would lead back to Nick in the end. Or she could have died. There's that one moment where they're like, we're going to kill Gossip Girl. And I'm like, oh, they're going to kill. But they didn't kill Gossip Girl. You know, it was really funny. Someone should have died. The day that that episode came out and they were like, we're going to kill Gossip Girl. A couple hours later, they were like, Gossip Girl has been killed. Found in the streets canceled. I'm not kidding. That literally happened to us. It was pretty ironic. Yeah. I'm so glad we've laid this show to rest together, but I'm also so sad. Same. We've done it. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I might have to finish my rewatch. I skipped around to finish up some episodes before this, but there are some episodes I didn't get to thoroughly enjoy. So I might go back, finish those episodes, mourn, mourn my losses, and get ready for the next big show we watch. I don't know. I think if any network picked it up or streaming service... I think there's a chance Hulu could do it, but I don't think that they would be able to invest how much it costs. Maybe Amazon, but it doesn't seem like that's the direction Amazon's going. I don't know. I don't know. I I guess the big problem, and Josh Josh Safran talks about this in some of the interviews, is cost, right? Uh, anywhere that he takes it, it will likely automatically be a degradation in quality of the product. So at that point, it becomes what kind of degradation and is it worth it to the product right keeping the show alive putting it on life support for it to be a half-life version of itself without him being able to have the right control or the right things he wants i mean obviously he could do it and if it's a passion project it's wor- and it's worth it that's fine but i get it that it's not the same unfortunately the network to really have had it on is hbo yeah i mean that makes sense right the whole point of Gossip Girl is the opulence. It's the extravagance. And mm-hmm. if you can't blow the money to make that huge thing, like, it's not the same. As you said, people tune in for the fashion and the clothes, and you really needed that. And I don't know. I'm sad. There won't be a, there won't be a Generation 3 for a little bit, huh? If there ever is one. Maybe a decade? Yeah, if they, they might try again eventually one day, but... Maybe it's us. Maybe we are the next showrunners with Josh Safran <laughs> for Generation 3 of Gossip Girl. I could come up with some unhinged shit. They could always go back to their roots, right? And release it as novels. Uh, even better, they could actually adapt some of, of the other novels, the spinoffs, like the It Girl. They could adapt hmm, that. It could be fun. It could be fun. Something new for Josh and his team. They had a vision. R.I.P. Well, thanks for listening to Gossip Girls Gone Canon. That's all for now, Upper East Siders. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I've had a really good time. Will we ever cover it again? That's a secret I'll never tell. I also you don't know. You love know. Us. <laughs> XOXO. Gossip Girls Gone Canon. Yeah. Thanks for listening and tuning in for this very special episode, this mini-ish sode on Generation 2 of Gossip Girls and... Like Eliana said, we might be back. We might be back. Like and subscribe below if you were into the content. We'll be back with Bran, A Storm of Swords 4 next week. Next <laughs> that week. That one's about yeah, gossip. Featuring our friend Anne. In a, in a way.
It is. No way. It is about gossip. As always, Upper East Siders, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, XOXO, Eliana. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>